Chapter 1 of California Desert Trails by Joseph Smeaton Chase. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 1 Introductory That stony mystery, the Sphinx, fixed in eternal reverie amid the immemorial sands of Egypt, might well stand as a symbol of the desert itself. Not that desert only, but deserts everywhere. One point out of many that make up the analogy is the baffling nature of the spell that people find in the famous monument. One will say that it is due to a sense of its immense age. Another that the features bear a supernatural expression or hold some secret meaning. Another feels its awe to lie in the riddle of its purpose. And another in some supposed significance of its proportions. Similarly, the magic of the desert is a riddle. Not only does it defy putting into words, but I have never found the person who felt that he could even shape it vaguely to himself in thought. For one thing, it is in its essence a contradiction. The desert is the opposite of all that we naturally find pleasing. Yet I believe that its hold upon those who have once fallen under its spell is deeper and more enduring than is the charm of forest or sea or mountain. This must seem a strange statement to make, but I make it with consideration and in the light of others' experience besides my own. The beauty of the great woodlands, the mystical solemnity of the sea, the power and glory of the mountains, right well we love these. Yet somehow that pale, grave face of the desert, if once you look long upon it, takes you more subtly captive and keeps you enchained by a stronger bond. It is as if you were bemused by the gaze of a sorceress, or had listened overlong to some witching monotonous strain, or had pondered too deeply on old legends of weirdry or parchments from tombs of strange forgotten lands. Certainly it is not love in any degree that one feels for the desert, nor could any other single term convey the sentiment. But whatever it is, there is something of haunting in it, and it is a haunting that lasts for life. The explanation of this puzzling allurement may lie partly in the fact that the mind of man is not steadfast in its attitude toward nature. It seems to change in reverse, as it were, to the spirit of the time. As usual, it is the opposite that attracts. The gentler features of the earth, its flowers, meadows, quiet hills, have always met response, and most so when the times were most troublous. But the vast and the wild raised no thrills but those of dislike and fear so long as life was, in a manner, similar. That is, while civilization was unborn or young. True, mountaineers have of old loved their mountains, but that was due, we may guess, more to appreciation of the protection they gave from foes in times of chronic war and foray than to any sense of their beauty and sublimity. But now the pendulum tends to the other extreme. After centuries of home, security, satisfaction of what, we come to a revulsion. Ease and tame ways of living having reached, for most of us, the present far stage, there has arisen a zest for things rugged and wild. Hardship looks attractive. Scarcity becomes desirable. Starkness turns an unexpected side of beauty. If the sun that has pleased me with warmth has power to blast me as well, homo sum, let him try it on. 
If Mother Earth has rooms from which she would bar me with threats, let her make the threats good if she can. If the eye loves verdure and low, cool tones of color, let it take a Spartan course of whitest light and fiercest color wave. These things also are part of our estate, and we cannot afford to leave them out of the accounts. Thus the desolate, gaunt, and dreadful in nature at last have their day. The risk is, indeed, that they may run to overvaluation. Perhaps even the pranks of those funny fellows, the futurists, cubists, and vorticists, in poetry, music, and art, might be explained by this clue. Civilization has got on their nerves, and they simply have to scream. As scenery merely, the desert is the last field that could take the fancy. The forest, even if gloomy, gives a sense of companionship and is filled with life and the means of life, food, fire, and shelter. The ocean, impersonal and insincere as it is, has motion and color, play of ripple, and breathing grandeur of tide. The mountains give pleasant boundary to our little lives, shutting in friends and kin, shutting out strange humanity and alien climes, and vaguely gratifying the sentiment for home. But the desert yields no point of sympathy, and meets every need of man with a cold, repelling no. There are, it is true, about the fringes of the desert, spots of sylvan beauty. Canyons break down from these sterile walls, where, following a cascading brook, cottonwoods and sycamores come trooping in verdant file, and palms hold broad fans aloft against opaque screen of rock and deep transparency of sky. In spring, mating birds find these places out, and live in transient, busy colonies while they raise their broods. Flowers, under unbroken days of sun, crowd into sudden bloom, the frail annuals growing quickly and hurrying to mature blossom and seed before the last moisture is drained from air and soil. The hardier plants here keep up a lively show, noticeably strong in the primary colors well into summer, though short will have been their shrift on the open desert. Even ferns contrive to live within perhaps a quarter mile of the boundary of strict aridity. But these are only local conditions, quite the reverse of typical. One feature of loveliness the desert has, however, that is essential. In one field of beauty, it is supreme. That is the field of color. Professor John C. Van Dyke, who has made that fine study of the desert which takes the rank of a classic, gives to a companion volume on the ocean the title of The Opal Sea. A better term than opal could scarcely be found for describing in a word the color of the desert itself. The marvelous air, wholly free from the vapors and impurities of coast and valley places, while it sharpens in detail and reduces difference of plane, at the same time throws over every object in far or middle distance a veil of lilac atmosphere wonderfully thin and transparent. Owing, perhaps, to the high power of these color waves, the eye is hardly interfered with in penetrating shadows. As a result, one receives the full effect of every tone of color, whether in light or shade. While all come to the eye softened but enriched, and with that indefinable opaline quality that gives magic and fascination to the most poetic of gems. The geological simplicity of sand and rock does not result, as might be expected, in poverty of color. 
sand particularly might seem to be capable of little change of hue but on the contrary its reflecting power gives it a special value as a color agent a means of taking on varying effects from the ever-changing sky in the northwestern arm of the colorado desert are two great masses of sand flattened domes in shape the higher one rises i should guess to five hundred feet above the surrounding levels the sand probably overlies a rocky abutment of the adjacent foothills and has been heaped there by that scarifying wind the terror of railway employees whose lines are cast in the division which includes the san gorgonio pass for months these sand hills were in my daily view and to describe the shades of color i have noted on them would make tedious paragraphs from almost snow white they have taken often in rapid turn all the hues of gray of blue of rose of chrome of brown and purple reaching even under the gloom of storm an approach to absolute black sand is actually as responsive as a chameleon and i could never tire of the vagaries of those dunes but most they charmed me at sunset that hour when the soul itself is suffused with changing hues and comes to its best perception then none but warm and gentle shades are seen and the mind like a tranquil lake receives them and renders them into something clearer and deeper than thought is it not at evening that we most naturally and truly reflect words quite fail to disclose the felicity of those spiritual moments of color like music they speak the unearthly tongue and it is only into music that they could be translated i mean of course the real accents of the heavenly maid not the new loud german noise which goes with the rattling of the sabre and aptly illustrates culture far from that my sandhills at evening are an abendlied a child's ethereal dream a reverie a sigh rock contrary to sand gives back its own color but here it is a pure and vivid color untinged with overlying hues of vegetation that elsewhere come in to perplex the eye the prevailing surface hue of desert rock is a dark rust red i should name it egyptian red for in my mental picturings of the land of the nile this same dull but powerful note rules like absolute pharaoh the color however is not inherent in the stone which is mainly granite of the common gray but in the course of ages this material lying usually in huge slabs has taken on a surface sheen and coloring due to weathering and baking by the sun it is spoken of as desert glaze and is really something like the artificial glaze of pottery even when the rocks take bolder form they are generally great house-like cubes or rhomboids offering flat surfaces which the sun and weather have painted in the same broad strong hue only where canyons choked with more freshly shattered rocks score the mountain walls does one catch the native tint to the granite making a startling contrast from these canyon mouths wide fan-like sheets of similar debris sweep down to the level up these the eye ranges higher and higher into gloomy galleries and chasms until the thread is lost in a maze of braided folds of mountains these overlooked often by some far high crest in winter white with snow in summer gray with iron crag and precipice of granite but always softly clouded with humanizing pines 
the characteristic contour form of the desert mountain ranges is another element in the beauty of desert color like geological models set on a table they stand up sharply defined from the general level arresting the glance with new conspicuous effects no gently modeled approaches prepare the eye for the change of plane from gray or drab expanse of sand they rear up wall-like profiles of red or ochre perspective is dwarfed by the clearness of air increasing the sense of verticality instead of rising from the desert these mountains stand upon it explicit bald almost artificial whatever form of geological action may explain the peculiarities of these mountain shapes it has resulted in a great irregularity of surface but this irregularity is worked in small scale the long almost isolated spur of the san jacinto that lies before me can only be likened to one of those vast surges one sees in mid-ocean driven into infinite complexity by hurricane or tornado in a mile or less of mountainside i count ten or a dozen well-defined main canyons they have one general trend and score the barren red-brown flank sharply from almost the crest down to the sudden dead level interwoven with these principal cleavages meeting and crossing them at every angle are hundreds of lesser depressions miniature passes and divides the result is a positive cross-hatching of intricate colors resembling in midday light a choppy sea giving it evening and morning a checker of delicious color molten gold in light amethyst in shade or under sunset or sunrise warmth like the glow of red-hot iron flecked with touches of purple more than tyrian i think the coldest blooded of men would stand and gaze while that pageant was passing for others the experience which can never be made stale by custom is more than aesthetic or emotional it is moral i would almost say religious but the remark that rock gives back its own color must be qualified for rock also responds to circumstances the eastward extension of san bernardino mountain lying beyond the sand hills to which i referred above gives a good example of the possibilities of this stubborn material in actual hue the range is the usual deep reddish brown but under diffused sunlight i have seen it pale down to milky white a tone that one would never suppose could come within its scope breaking of light rays by vegetation is not the cause as it might be elsewhere for plant life is here at its lowest volume a joke almost a myth like a chinaman's beard it impresses one oddly this wholesale bleaching away of essential color withered ghastly monstrously old the mountains seem like geologic wraiths such mountains as the ghosts of moon men may wander among in the ashy lunar world the great stretches of level desert also show some diversity of color arising partly from the absence or presence and kind of vegetation and partly from difference of surface material but it is only when seen in great extent from a good elevation that atmosphere and grouping of shades lend enchantment in near view seen from slightly above the level a vast drab tinged usually with olive is the general hue the olive comes from an infinite stipple of low shrubs so uniform in spacing for each plant jealously guards its little territory as to show no cloudings of heavier and sparser growth 
the effect is about as lively and original as fifty square miles of tweed in pepper-and-salt mixture but though not themselves in the least degree stimulating to fancy these dull plains have value as foil and foreground to the color display of ever-present hills and mountains and when as often may be the case the close foreground is laid in blocks of that deep powerful red the landscape though bare of any recognized elements of beauty yet is perfect in its way incomparable in places the drab gives way to other tones there are large extents of unmixed sand boulders gravel or of pavement-like rock mosaic and yellow red lava black on these the vegetation is so sparse as to yield no element of color this is the desert entire and austere the realm of geology alone among the sciences here time and all things of time seem to have ended or not to have begun the sun rises flames through the sky and sets the moon and stars look coldly down the traveller seems to himself the last life on the planet awe that is close on terror grasps him he feels himself alone in the universe he and god his footsteps cease why should he go on and whither for there is no whither nothing moves nor can move but the elemental wind vacantly roaming the empty earth and those great airs what a sense they bring of age of eternal solitude of cold sidereal space the life of towns of farms all that signifies humanity seems totally unreal the great question confronts closes one in and must but cannot be answered at such moments reader you may find foothold in thoughts perhaps long unthought or cast aside i believe in god the father almighty maker of heaven and earth and so on to the end they will not now seem contemptible i assure you there comes in spring on all but these barrenest spaces a startling interlude a sudden wave of color even in the desert nature though here least humane most indifferent longs for change and softens for a time at the entreaty of her most winsome child virginal petal-eyed flora it is only a transient flush rising culminating and fading quickly almost as fleeting as sunset on cloud or mountains but it is enough draco does relent colonel absolute has been seen playing horsey on the hearthrug it proves the desert livable and possibly lovable and for the rest of the year one bears in mind that brief touch of graciousness in speaking of the color of the desert there remains the great field of the sky let not the reader stay as i did too long under the conventional notion of an ever cloudless blue clear skies of course predominate but even in summer no long time passes without grateful show of vapor glorious white or yet more glorious gray nearness to the pacific and the gulf of california gives the sky of the colorado desert a degree of cloudiness far greater than that for instance of the sahara though the rainfall on our desert is as scanty as there in both summer and winter the sun may rise make his march and set day after day for weeks in undimmed power but at any season there will not be many mornings or evenings together without some skeiny film of rose 
some shimmering bar of matter purple or coppery gold though for months the sky through all the middle hours of the day may be a hard and uniform cobalt there is in fact a constant battle in these skies often to be seen by interested mortals below like the scrimmages of pro and anti deities that went on above the plains of troy from the spot where i make these notes i have often looked for hours while the struggle remained in deadlock over the pass between san jacinto and santa rosa battalions of cloud come rolling stream out far to the east and threaten the kingdom of the sun but that old tyrant seldom sleeps or after the manner of tyrants sleeps with an eye open and it is hard to catch him unaware his entrenchments are all but impregnable leagues of radiant air form invisible ramparts from which the invaders are continually thrown back and ever from the heated desert new ranks of warriors come rushing up to maintain the fight now one side gains now the other some hero of the gray leads a charge and a tongue of vapor leaps out far in the advance may even fling down a slant of rain or snow on the anxious pines of santa rosa but before the greys can establish themselves the blues are at them and press them back ah pluvius ah pluvius phoebus phoebus to the rescue and so it wages to and fro strangely and ominously like the battles of men ominously lest it prove that these are no farther from coming to a final end with all the glory of desert evening skies i miss one accustomed element of sunset i mean that spiritual touch impossible to put into words but which we know so well perhaps the word wistfulness states it best and the desert so you might think until you know it is not wistful but yet it is to be old weary and wise is wistful as much as are the young asking eyes of a child but wistfulness is hard to define why in music for instance should a chord a turn of rhythm even an interval starts sometimes a wave that reaches boundless shores or sinking like a burning ruby into depths we never guessed were there show us ourselves as gods knowing good and evil how does it come that the leaf of an autumn bramble expresses a hero's soul better than epic verses ever can and what magic is there about sunset and the west that has always drawn men's longing so that indeed for wistfulness one might fancifully say westfulness is it that we feel the sun's daily going as so great a loss that we must follow him with our pensive hopes not so with all of us certainly to me for one the sun has always seemed an enemy the ally of tedium a huge evaporator sucking the spirit and leaving naught but the plodding clay the gaudy babbling and remorseless day well said shakespeare but this is verging on metaphysics the point is that somehow there is not in the desert sunset hues that deepest most sensitive note they are fairyland a sheer marvel the quintessence of beauty and color but they have not the ineffable quality that goes perhaps with murkier less all-revealing skies it may be that being mysterious to ourselves anything less than mystery in nature must fall short abyssus abyssum in vocab. as a fact i have seen more of that moving glory in sunset skies from the top of a london bus 
than anywhere else even sierra crest or open vastness of the colorado perhaps it is the presence of six million human souls i do not mean bodies that gives the needed atmosphere the spiritual haze but the metaphysical must be reckoned with after all to explain the strange attraction of the desert space solitude quiet our minds at their best are tuned to these and when they find them they expand like the anemone welcoming its native tide the merely objective things of the desert are another and transitory matter i am speaking of its underlying undying charm it is a somewhat awful attribute with more of subjugation in it than of charm it disembodies us takes away what hides us from ourselves the aged earth speaks now in solemn tone to its child and he must listen no friendly tree or buoyancy of wave meets the daunted eye with encouragement or excuse for levity here justice is the word not mercy the universe seems listening for your word and appraising you by your silence if there comes a sound it is so momentary as only to startle swallowed up instantly in the waiting void the thin single note of the cactus wren one of the lonesomest of sounds more lost and eerie than the midnight bleed of sheep on the cumberland fells is there attraction in this then to most people no to a few yes and yes to an increasing number i think and hope as the loud roar grows louder the times more complex and out of joint the strife of tongues more clever and useless simplicity the touchstone of good more than ever reverend yet less than ever revered End of chapter 1